Heavenly Father, we do thank you that Jesus came and died and rose as our King. We know that he is coming back. And we pray now that as we consider these important words from Jesus, that you'd help me to explain them clearly. And you'd help us all to respond rightly, that we might be your faithful servants who are actively waiting for your return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, for many of us, when we think of waiting, we think of doing nothing, uh, passive waiting, and you know, sitting in a traffic jam, or queuing in a bank, or waiting for that grab driver to turn up. But there is such a thing as active waiting, uh, the kind of waiting that produces frantic activity, you know, waiting for the exam period to arrive, waiting for bonus time, and waiting for a baby to come. In each of these cases, the waiting stimulates us to action, to study hard, to work hard, to prepare well. That's now just two weeks before Advent, where we will remember that we are waiting for King Jesus to return. For one day Jesus will return, clothed in power and authority and majesty. And as we wait, our waiting must not be passive, but active. Now, waiting for Jesus to come back should lead us to engage in our master's business in frantic activity. Active waiting is commended. Passive waiting is condemned. Well, the key to understanding any parable in the Bible is to read it in its context. And the context is given in verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So Jesus is on a journey to Jerusalem. And in verse 28, he'll arrive, he'll enter on a donkey, and he will be acclaimed as king. Uh, so the disciples are convinced that the kingdom of God is about to arrive. Jesus then tells them this parable to get their expectations straight. The full experience of his kingdom rule will not be immediate. He will be crowned king, but they must wait some time for him to return. Well, that is the first point this morning. Jesus' rule is certain, but there will be a delay. Jesus' rule is certain, but there will be a delay. Verse 12, he said to them, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. And now the nobleman here is Jesus, the far country is heaven, and the kingdom is the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is saying that there will be a delay in the establishment of his kingdom. He has been raised as king, he's been enthroned in heaven, but it's only later that he will return to claim his kingdom on earth. And in this time while we wait for his return, he tells us that we are to expect opposition to his rule. Look at verse 14. His citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Remember in Jesus' day, Pilate said to the crowd, shall I crucify your king? And the Jews cried out, crucify him. Crucify him. And so today, in country after country, in workplace after workplace, family after family, people refuse the rule of King Jesus. 
But Jesus wants us to be sure, despite the world's rejection and despite the delay in him coming, Jesus is king. And one day he will return to claim his kingdom. The question is, will we be his servant or will we be his enemy? Well, if we are his servants, we will prioritize our master's business. We're at point two, the priority of Jesus' servants, the priority of Jesus' servants. Verse 13, calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. And he said to them, engage in business until I come. Now, a mina was a piece of currency that was worth about three or four months' wages. And so today's currency, we're looking 10,000 to 12,000 ringgit. The nobleman expects his servants to use this money and engage in business until he returns. Now, he is, of course, not talking about a literal business. You know, going, Jesus doesn't want us to just go out in the marketplace and make lots of money for him. Uh, we see the nature of King Jesus' business back in verse 10. We read there, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus' business is to seek and save lost sinners. See, that's why he was on his journey to Jerusalem. Uh, and that's why he would die on the cross. That's why he calls people to turn to him in, in repentance and faith. Because Jesus wants lost sinners to come back to him. If we are his servants, then that ought to be our business as well. We ought to long for lost sinners to come and find Jesus. We ought to prioritize the preaching of the gospel. We ought to use all of the resources that he, he's given us, our, our time and our money and our energy, our gifts, all of it to serve the advance of his kingdom. Well, we can work as a, a doctor and heal patients. What a wonderful thing that is right now. But one day all of us will die. And we can serve as a great engineer, building great buildings. But not all buildings will last. And we can labor as a teacher, educating the next generation. But our legacy will not last forever. They're all important and noble jobs for Christians to engage in. But none of them will save lost sinners from hell. Only the gospel of Jesus can do that. See, whatever job we might engage in in this world to, to make an income for ourselves, our first priority is always to be engaging in the work of the gospel, the work of seeking and saving the lost. So let me ask, is that your priority this morning? It is so easy to invest our lives in our careers and, and lose that gospel perspective that Jesus is coming back one day and what we do for him now really matters. Well, that's point two, the priority of Jesus' servants. Point three, we see the judgment at Jesus' return. The judgment at Jesus' return. Verse 15 to 27, the king returns and all give account to him for how they have served. Verse 15, when the king returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered those servants to whom he'd given the money to be called to him, that he might know 
what they had gained by doing business. Well, the king has received his kingdom, and now he calls his servants to account. And, and first we see this: the faithful servants commended. The faithful servants commended. Verse 16, the first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Now note what makes them faithful is not the quantity of money that they make. One produces ten minas, and one produces five minas. They're both impressive feats. But the reason for their commendation is their faithfulness. Verse 17 says, because you have been faithful in a very little. See, they've used the king's resources to serve him. And, and now when he returns, they receive their reward. Ten cities, five cities. Such an extravagant, extravagant gift by a gracious king. I mean, just imagine you, uh, you make 100,000 ringgit for your boss and he says, well, here's your reward. Have Pulau Pinang as your gift. Have Langkawi too, and Butterworth, and Sungai Batani, and have ten cities for yourself. But so is the grace and generosity of our master. If we are faithful, even with a very little, as we serve him, we'll be rewarded with much more later on. We'll be invited to participate in God's heavenly kingdom, which will be great beyond our wildest imagination. The faithfulness to Jesus will always be worth it. Every prayer, every invitation to a non-Christian, every word of encouragement to a suffering Christian, every Bible study that you lead, every youth class or Sunday school lesson that you teach, every contribution you make to an online service, it's all noticed by King Jesus. And in his grace, he will give his commendation when he returns. He will say, well done, good servant. He will give us his reward. It will be absolutely worth it. The faithful servant is commended, but this parable focuses especially on the third servant, the wicked servant who is condemned. So the big point of this parable is really the tragedy of doing nothing to serve King Jesus. Verse 20, then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. The master returns to find that his lazy servant has done absolutely nothing. And his excuse? His master's severity. Well, so far we've only seen the extraordinary grace and generosity of the master to his faithful servants. Is he severe? Well, in verse 22, the king delivers his judgment. Verse 22, he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming... I may have collected it with interest. The reality is that this wicked servant 
has a baseless excuse for his failure to serve the king. He may have looked like a servant, but he wasn't really. He was disobedient, he was lazy, and he was rebellious. Now, of course, the same can happen in churches today. There may be people who call themselves Christians, who've received gifts of his grace, but they never really respond to his kindness. They're disobedient, they're lazy, and they're rebellious. Notice Jesus won't accept our excuses. Oh, I'm too busy. It's too difficult to serve you. I'm too uncomfortable to do that for you. The true servant of Jesus will do more than just turn up on Sunday at church. They're doing nothing for him with their, with their time or their energy or their gifts in the rest of their life. Such a person who does nothing has not grasped the grace and the goodness of King Jesus. And the severe judgment that follows is a stark warning. He said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus is saying, if you do not want to serve him as king, one day you will lose your opportunity to do so. Your mina will be taken away and you will face his judgment. But if you will faithfully serve Jesus, you will find that, that, that in his grace, he, he will give you more and more opportunities to serve him greater responsibilities as he lavishes his grace and goodness upon you. And so whatever you do, Please, don't do nothing for Jesus. Don't wait passively for Jesus to return. Get busy in the service of King Jesus. Get behind gospel work in, in whatever way that you can. Don't let your master return and find that you have done nothing for him. Well, Jesus' parable ends with a punch in verse 27 to underline just how important it is that we respond rightly to him. Verse 27 says, As for those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. And one day Jesus will return and he will destroy all who have refused his rule with no mercy. Notice how black and white Jesus is here. Either you're his faithful servant who, who does his will, or you're his enemy who is condemned. There's, there's no middle ground here. And so whether you've been in church for many years, or this is your first time tuning in to our online service, please make sure that you respond rightly to King Jesus. Submit to him as the king of your life. And live your life faithfully in his service, giving your all for his business. Otherwise, he will return and you may face his judgment. 
Jesus wants us to maximise our gospel ministry for him, to use our money to invest in his kingdom, to use our lips to speak to the lost, to use our gifts to serve his people. What it looks like will be different for each one of us. We all have different circumstances. But what we must all do is sit down and think, how will I serve King Jesus? How will I seek and save the lost? How will I make my life count for my king? What will I do so that lost sinners can be rescued and made into servants of God? As we serve King Jesus, there will be discouragements and difficulties along the way. There will be times when we're tempted to give up. But we must not give up because each one of us must give an account for how we have served him with our lives. Know for certain whatever sacrifices you must make, whatever opposition you face, whatever tiredness or trials you may experience in serving King Jesus, it will be worth it in the end. On that day he will address you by name. And he will say to you, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. Well, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that Jesus has been raised again as king, that he's enthroned in heaven now. And we know that one day he will return and bring in the kingdom of God in all of its fullness. We thank you that you call us to be servants of the king. And so we pray that you'd help us to be faithful, to use our lives in his business of seeking and saving the lost. Help us, Lord, not to be rebellious or lazy or disobedient. Help us to do all that we can with our time and our money and our resources and our gifts to see others come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. And we thank you so much for the gracious reward that you promise to all your faithful servants. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 